We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hilarious stats and contingency-based plays that are starting to hit. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas, brought to you by WinBet. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. And Sean, the hilarious stats that I referenced in the introduction were something that you have been working on. I haven't heard these stats yet. I'm very excited to hear them. But first, how you doing? Week nine, not quite as fun as week eight. Week eight was a really, really fun week. Week nine, we're not big fans of Joe Mixon around here. Joe Mixon scored a million points. Um, but it wasn't a terrible week. It is what it is. I was really excited to see Garrett Wilson, even though he didn't crush or anything. I mean, the Jets only throw for like 150 passes, and he gets about two-thirds of their yards, even though there's no one else to draw coverage or anything. I mean, that guy's already a star. There are a lot of fun things that we're seeing. Maybe that's one of your hilarious stats. No, the the hilarious stats are more of a negative variety. It was, again, a study in contrasts in Week 9, where we actually did have a lot of cool fantasy stuff. At the same time, the reality football perhaps left quite a bit to be desired in a majority of the games, we'll say. There were a few fun things that happened. If you ended up having Bears-Dolphins, and I don't think a couple of weeks ago necessarily that would have been the headliner, but if you had Bears-Dolphins as the game you mainly tuned into and watched, you're pretty fired up about this week because that was a fantastic game. Most of the rest of the games, not quite so fun, but we are having... A variety of some of these contingency-based plays or young players emerging. It was really striking to me again, and we talk about this every once in a while, and it is one of the slight downsides, I think, to taking a very youth-oriented approach and a contingency-based approach is that you perhaps create a little bit more exposure to the vagaries of fate and the sequencing of a season and how that can really come and hit you. As I was driving home today, I was thinking about, and again, I mean, this is somewhat specific to us, but not really, because huge numbers of players. I mean, one person in every league drafted Trey Lance and was excited about him, loses him early, and then you have the 49ers by this week. And many of our teams, and certainly, again, I would expect lots of listeners and plenty of non-listeners who have a, a similar philosophy on how to build a team would have had Justin Fields as their sort of contingency-based play or similar type of play behind Fields where you could hit on either one of them 
but also you have him as a backup if you think that field or Lance has some bad matchups or you have the bye week. If Lance doesn't get hit, then you can work your way through that first month for Justin Fields and you have him ready to go in week nine and you get a huge score. Then we were not particularly high on Justin Herbert because of price, not overall. Obviously, we love him as a quarterback. He's had to deal with a ton of injuries to his skill position players, but didn't really like it at the price. We like Justin Fields fairly well at the price. I know that I said several times I loved him at the price and I thought he was going to rush for a thousand yards. That part of it now looks pretty good after he has this historic rushing day. But the first month of the season, he averages 11.1 points per game and you more or less had to drop him. Especially after what we saw last year. I mean, it was it was really hard to be in on him at that point. Right. Right. Because I, I, I did that last year, trying to play him through the 11 point games and then he would have a seven point game after that. It was not fun. No. And again, within this context we've talked about where Marcus Mariota has actually scored pretty well, too, but it's just so hard to live with those really poor results. So you have to cut him. He's averaging more points than Justin Herbert now on the season. Averaging more points than Justin Herbert. He's at 28 points per game over the last five if you have his him in dynasty, high, this is... his season high in passing yardage is 208. He's hit 200 yards one time all year. Well, but he's he's Michael Vick plus. This guy is unbelievable. The plays he made against the Dolphins and how he kept him in this game. And we get a little bit. As I was watching this game, I'm still very happy with the trade, mind you. But as I was watching this game, I was reminded of the trade I made in our trade deadline. We've talked about it a couple different times. Mike Leone set up this really cool auction best ball dynasty league a couple years ago during quarantine it's called the quarantine auction league we have a bunch of our uh, best buddies in there i had a trade with davis maddock in our trade deadline window just have a little window in that league where you can trade and it's kind of cool because it's the best ball league super flex best ball league we get a one week window in season to make trades and when he sent me i have a lot of tight ends i like to build around tight ends that i think can emerge as pass catchers in tight end premium so Hawkinson and a bunch of guys are on that team. He had a great week. I was excited about that. But when Davis sent me this trade of Cole Komet for Brian Robinson, I'm like, I got to go ahead and take that. It's going to be good in the short term. It balances out the positions a little bit. But it is a good buy low from Davis. I mean, you understand why he's wanting to buy Cole Komet. Since that trade, Komet has finally flashed, I don't know if you want to say upside, but NFL talent. He's caught a couple of touchdowns. He catches two touchdowns in this game. You have Chase Claypool there now. He looked a little bit confused on a lot of the plays. He also had, I mean, the Bears would have won if the officials had not given a bogus pass interference to the Dolphins and then also not called a flagrant pass interference where Claypool was pulled down late. But now, I mean, they've got Claypool, they've got Mooney, they've got Komet. Mooney, I mean, again, not scoring points because the Bears don't pass for any yards, but, but looking decent. This has been a fun team to watch over the last month. And fun because of Justin Fields and Justin Fields alone. Their defense is completely gutted. It's been terrible the last two weeks. They got absolutely routed by the Cowboys. They got routed by Miami in this game. They traded Robert Quinn. They traded Roquan Smith, their their best two front seven defenders. They don't look like from a defensive side of the ball that they even have any interest in playing. They lost the heart and soul of their defense at the trade deadline. They have no offensive line. Their special teams gave up a pump block for a touchdown against the Dolphins. And Justin Fields willed them to a three-point loss. As you noted, they could have won 
on fourth down on their last possession, he hits Equinemius St. Brown. You couldn't hit him more in the hands. It goes Such right through pass. his hands. Such a perfect pass. I mean, he was Fields was ready to put the team on his back and win that game. And that was after Tua, who again played well, had blown it by having a couple of poor plays on fourth down deep in Chicago territory where they don't convert. And the second one especially was on him where he got a little bit excited and had one of those just weird arm motions where as you're making the pass, you're kind of thinking something else and doesn't go anywhere near a guy who's wide open. And then he misses. And again, I mean, we're sort of invested in this. So you're always thinking to yourself, well, that was like a 15 point fantasy play, but a 77 yard touchdown to Jalen Waddle. That was the definition of wide open. I mean, his miss of Waddle was worse than, and we won't say either of the names, but there was a potential 70 yard touchdown pass from a hybrid quarterback on a run heavy team to an underperforming tight end on a run heavy team. Oh that, God. That could have been worse than points, right? Oh, God. But worse than that. So anyway, back to the bears. They, I mean, Justin Fields, he looked great. He looked great. The Kyle Pitts thing, Sean. <laughs> You're referencing, we have to talk about. He was way behind the defense. The announcers were like, God, he's got to turn up field there and run under that. I'm like, what are you watching? <laughs> I mean, maybe their, their point was somewhat valid, but like he was running free. Mariota just missed him. Then he had another shot to the end zone, which would have been a 33-yard touchdown. And the defender grabs his shoulder and pulls him back. The announcers on that one were very clearly saying that's pass interference. The crowd sees the replay is booing like crazy. I'm not sure that he would have gotten to it for sure, but he had won that route too. I mean, he's winning these routes and he's not he getting did the passes. Drop an easy 25 yard gain that he would did. perhaps have gotten them a field goal. Yeah, he's time. had he's had a couple drops issues. Honestly, the the week prior on the first play, they did a little play action rollout and he dropped. It was a little behind him, but dropped a really catchable pass for like a 15 yard gain to start to get. You know, it would have been a catch and run. I would have guessed about 15 yards, but it would have been a nice way to start his day, and he dropped it. Ben, Devontae Adams had 197 air yards, but there was a player with more. Yeah, it was Kyle Pitts. The he other two were – yards. <laughs> yeah, he had four deep balls. The other two were kind of prairie yardy type plays. But, but man, I mean, he has had it, – it's frustrating because we – he hasn't been what we hoped. Their offense hasn't been what we hoped. But he's also been one of the biggest near-miss – like players of the whole season he had the, the the sequence against the Bengals where he definitely was getting the play called for him and had the touchdown and the defensive end just grabbed him at the at the, the one yard line it was like a leak play and the defensive end just bear hugged him they called the defensive holding very next play he gets the ball thrown to him and could have caught it across the line but kind of juggles it doesn't control it until he's back on the field side of the end zone and it's not called a touchdown two targets in a row that could have been TDs the first one very much should have been if not for a penalty penalty in this game there was a penalty in the Rams game on a deep shot he drew a long defensive pass interference early in the year there's been a couple of the drops issues but there's been these there was another one where he got a deep drew a defensive holding and got open in about week four or five I wrote about stealing signals got wide open Mariota underthrew him doesn't didn't even end up in the stats but it would have been about a 30 yard gain in that game he's had all these low you know 15 yard games but if you watch the games Every other week, there's a 30-yard play there for him that isn't hitting, and you only get so many chances in a low-volume offense. Anyway, Chuck, we, we got to change the subject. You need to ha- add a few more than just 30 yards here at 30 yards there to get him where he needs to be. But yes, right. and again, there were some exciting notes about his future this week, but, but I got not the present. I, I got another comment. You, you mentioned the quarantine auction trade you made. What about the one I made right before the season? August 30th, this is a... Uh, 
Superflex tight end premium, best ball league. I'm kind of trying to go for it. I made a big trade for Patrick Mahomes in this league that we talked about on the show back in like May with Davis. He's rebuilding. Our buddy Michael Leone is also rebuilding. I traded for Mark Andrews. He's very excited about it. He has been really crushing. To make that deal happen, I had to give up a first-round pick. And it's tight end premium, so he's worth more than a first. I thought this was a pretty good deal at the time, but I also had to give him Justin Fields. And he dealt me back Baker Mayfield so that I still had another quarterback in my super flex mix. I didn't really well, you're want great Baker. then. Baker Mayfield to the rescue in the second yeah. half for the Panthers. I didn't really want Baker Mayfield. I don't really care to have him. I still have enough quarterback depth, even if he's not playing. And interestingly, I have Garoppolo on this team. And so the Lance stuff has uh, worked that way. But I have Mahomes now, and I have Matthew Stafford and Garoppolo and Mayfield. A lot of, lot of depth. For a, I mean, it's it's a best ball format, but I was excited about this trade at the time. I was ex- even more excited when Mark Andrews was starting to have this great year. I'm now pretty concerned that I gave up Justin Fields in a super flex dynasty league, as well as a first round pick for Mark Andrews, as good as he is. I'm probably going to regret that one. <laughs> it's going to be tough. I have new or not new, updated triflex, or I should say super flex dynasty rankings on the site from this afternoon. And Justin Fields, someone I felt was a buy low through the first part of this stretch, makes a huge leap in the rankings, jumps most of the non-quarterbacks. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough for that one to come back in your favor. Hopefully this year in the short term, it will. Hopefully Andrews gets healthy and they have nothing else. I mean, that was really hammered home in this game last night against the Saints. They still went pretty easily, but the absence of Mark Andrews there is extremely clear. I mean, in hindsight, that trade looks terrible. At the time, you're thinking there's really, it's a tough path for Fields most of this season, right? For him to have a good year this year. And then what does that mean for his long-term timeline? I, I was expecting in Dynasty, I, I saw, you know, some startups this offseason where he was going still in Superflex in the third and fourth round, maybe even in the second round in some formats. I don't know. We, we talked about this a little bit in the offseason, I know, but we were talking about him as a player who could lose a lot of value in dynasty this year because the situation was so bad. If he plays poorly and he, the way I described it was he was going to have to play above average to look average. He was going to have to play average just to look below average and not terrible because the situation was going to bring him down. I mean, he's looked otherworldly. I mean, he's, he really is kind of put the team on his back in a situation with no help, no line, no defense. Now, He's got a couple of pass catchers. I mean, I'm not going to say he has nobody there, but it's not been a decent rushing game. You got to give it, I guess, but I, I think he influences that. The fact that both David Montgomery and Cleo Herbert have looked good as runners this year is pretty obviously influenced by his mobility. And we see that with all the mobile quarterbacks. I mean, he's the heart and soul of their whole team. And they're they're competing against teams like the Dolphins. The Dolphins look, look like they're a legit team. So, Yeah, they look like a Super Bowl contender, especially – if Josh Allen is a little bit dinged up, especially as we watch the Bills and the Chiefs get slowed down this week. I've been saying that they are clearly a tier above even a team like the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles, even though you don't get a lot of new information about them when they're playing the Houston Texans, I think that they very justifiably now can make the claim that they're in that top tier as well. Field somebody I was very excited about his potential rushing. You have concerns that they're not going to unleash him, but they have slash he's taken it on himself to just run anyway and has broken out of some of these past situations. So cool to watch. The, the situation with him, and I think the situation is still with Trey Lance, even though I don't think that Lance has the same upside in terms of rushing that Fields is now demonstrating, 
It's just that if as long as you don't get benched and as long as you don't completely destroy your career, you're going to have that upside because of the way fantasy is scored where players like Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, who obviously were not as, as expensive, but they not only have to not get benched, but they have to be good. And that portion of it could be a little bit more challenging. I think with Wilson, he has a solid game here against the Bills. I think that he's starting to revive his value a little bit, which is sort of a surprising thing to say, but in part because Garrett Wilson is just an unmitigated superstar. You think about what the Bills are doing to try and slow him down. You think about the loss of Brees Hall. I just mentioned those dynasty rankings. He also skyrocketing. I had him maybe a little bit, I don't know, not too high since now. It's very much playing out that way, but was enthusiastic about him after the first couple of weeks. And that looked like perhaps a mistake. He's someone I think very shortly is going to challenge or have a chance to challenge if they can get the offense going. Players like Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, who I really have just... I was going to ask you, because I think you can make a case to put him in the top 10. And, and you know, where do you, where do you have him? Yeah, I mean, if you take out the quarterbacks, he would be in the top 10. I don't have, with the quarterbacks, I don't have any running backs in the top tier, which I have is worth three first-round picks. You have a variety of quarterbacks. You have Jefferson. You have Chase. Wilson starts to jump into that area with Jalen Waddell, where he's on the cusp. And Waddle's someone else who, especially with the way the Dolphins are running their offense, I mean, those two guys look like they're going to be there for the long term. I agree with that. That's where he belongs. I was saying top 10, thinking like top 10 receivers. You are always pretty aggressive. Uh, I should know who I'm talking to. I think some people would be surprised just to even see Garrett Wilson in the top 10 dynasty receivers already because he hasn't really produced a ton yet. But I think I think he belongs. I was thinking the same thing. Like he can he can contend with Chase and Jefferson pretty quick. I mean, I, I think we've talked about it on the show, Sean, as like rem, so reminiscent of Justin Jefferson's rookie season. We're just not seeing the pass volume from his team, but he's that player. I mean, like he looks, that's the best comp I have is what we got from Jefferson two years ago. He's a superstar. And I love that you have him uh, right there in your top five dynasty wide receivers and and really pulling up the names and looking at it. I I mean, there's no real argument that he shouldn't be in there. I'm just glad that you still, that you have uh, AJ Brown rounding out the top five there (laughs) with those other four, the oldest of the group. We know Sean doesn't like old guys, but if it's AJ Brown, you can, you know, when you can walk on water, you can make it into Sean Siegel's top five wide receiver ranks, even if you've played three or four seasons. Even if you played three or four, it was hard. But with Diggs being slowed down a little bit, with I mean, Cooper Cup is doing things that are absolutely absurd. The, I mean, you, it'd be impossible to find an offense that is more broken than the Los Angeles Rams, and that's with Matthew Stafford. What Cup is doing to transcend that? But environmentally, that is a little bit of an issue. Then now that I'm kind of mentioning the Rams, let's go into some of these hilarious stats. We'll do our win bet hilarious stats segment of the show here. Sign up today to receive a special sports offer. Bet 100, win 100. Download the win bet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Speaking of winning, Ben, we have some teams that did win that show up in the hilarious stats. They, We have some teams that did not win. I'm kind of blown away by this, right? We have the Las Vegas Raiders who haven't scored in three of the last four halves they've played. (laughs) We have the Los Angeles Rams who my understanding is went a full game's worth of time of game time, not running 
a play on the opponent's side of the field. So stretching from the second half in week eight to the first through the first half in week nine. In week nine, they had five more drives than they had first downs. <laughs> so I I figured they might be it because in, in my stealing they might be in here because in my stealing signals research I saw they had 206 total yards, which is like bottom 10 of any team all season. And they had a 69 yard touchdown from Cooper Cup as part of those 206 total yards. Yeah, just I mean, mind boggling, right? So the Bucks, they win a game in which they averaged 4.1 yards per play. The Lions win a game in which they averaged 4.5 yards per play. And then kind of weirdly, Detroit and Green Bay combined to score 24 total points on a day where they were actually 14 for 26 on third down, which isn't bad at all. So again, it shows (laughs) you how converting third downs is not the name of the game. You have to run your drives in a way where it's going to lead to touchdowns in the end. The Vikings win a game in which they had eight consecutive scoreless drives they're just kind of adding it together quickly in my head. Totaled 111 yards. So even if it's not exactly 111, eight consecutive scoreless drives where they picked up about that many yards. Malik Willis goes five for 16, which I'm sure people know. The Titans are outgained by 270 yards, but they do gain more yards than the Rams. The Ravens win a game in which they completed 12 passes. And then to kind of finish it off, the like the bottom of the bottom and it does lead to a coach getting fired and a non-coach getting hired as a head coach which is quite a step up in any profession (laughs) sam ellinger averages 3.6 yards per attempt throws a pick loses 60 yards on nine sacks so when you put that together i believe that he finished ben with a slight negative fraction in net yards per attempt oh that's amazing he uh the reason i knew right off the top of my head that the Rams were bottom 10 for the whole season in total yards this week was because I had to look up the Colts who had 121 total yards. Uh, while I was writing part one of stealing signals, that was 40 yards lower than any other team (laughs) in any game all year, 121 total yards in week nine at the Patriots, this loss that, that led to Frank Reich's firing, which personally, I did not agree with. I actually think Frank Reich deserved to, to stay the coach on this team. <clears throat> Ellinger's been terrible, but you had to bench Matt Ryan. I mean, like you, you can only do what you can do with the roster. This team was 3-3-1 and one and was covering spreads and beating good teams when they had no – they've gotten terrible quarterback play the whole year. But this idea of benching Ryan to try to play Ellinger, like, yeah, I mean, he's I mean, been Does he get no credit for beating the Kansas City Chiefs? Right. And then also, uh, you know, the win against the Broncos maybe – some of that had to do with the Broncos being terrible, most of it. But like this has been a team that has not had the talent. And they have I've been betting against them since like week two, every single week. And they're covering spreads and losing me money. And I'm right about my betting against them. And it's been maddening to me. And in my head, I'm chalking that up to Frank Craig. And I thought he's been for a while now a coach that gets a lot out of his talent. He does a good job of of scheming. Or, or adjusting in-game to game situation. We've talked about this as it relates to player usage with the Colts in past years. I remember back with Eric Ebron, his routes would always spike when they were in pass situations, when they would fall behind, when they'd go ahead, they'd be in more run form. They wouldn't use him as much, and it would trick some people in the fantasy industry. They'd see his routes spike, and it's like, no, that was just because they were down. And Frank Reich understands, look, we're now we're in pass mode, you know? And so they get 
Eric Ebron in there more. He's not the only guy doing this, but the way that he would deploy his players in the situations that made the most sense, I thought was always pretty intelligent, frankly. I never thought Frank Rick was a bad coach. I think it's pretty interesting that for as bad as this roster has been, to get it to 3-5-1, and one, it gets you fired. I mean, I don't know. I, I I didn't like that. But 121 yards this week was terrible. 40 fewer than, than Houston's worst game, which is the second worst game of any team. There's only been four teams that have had fewer than 200 yards in any game. The Patriots had 203 in the same game. They tied for the fifth fewest in any game all year, and they got the win against the Colts. You mentioned the Rams. They were at 206. They have the eighth fewest. All of those happened this week. And then you mentioned several others there. You went through those so fast that I, I, want, I want us to talk about that because those are some hilarious stats. What were the other ones? Oh, the Titans. The other thing I had on that was uh, the 16 pass attempts you mentioned. Travis Kelsey on the other side, 17 targets. <laughs> he had more targets than the opposition had pass attempts. That was one of the most extreme divergence in styles that we've ever seen. I mean, that was a plus 20 pass rate over expected Kansas City Chiefs team that didn't even try to run against the Titans really good run D. A minus 20 pass rate over expected Titans team. The Chiefs wound up running 91 plays. They threw a season high for any team 68 times. They're only the second team to even throw 60 times. So getting all the way to 68 is, you know, well up there. I think the Bills were the other one with that game in, in Miami. It was about 63 or something. But Kansas City at 68, the pretty clear top pass volume team by any team this year. Titans ran 48 plays <laughs> compared to 91 plays and 68 passes and through just 16 passes. I mean, the Chiefs had th four players that had eight or more targets. The, the Titans had, you know, 16 pass attempts total. It's just... Sorry, we mentioned this on the OT recap. They did not complete a pass to a wide receiver, which, yes. again, not surprising when you complete five total passes. Right. Their, their uh, team leader had three targets. I mean, Justin Watson on the other side was like fifth or sixth on the Chiefs in targets. He had five. And I was like, this is a really great example of why we spend so much time talking about the team environment. You have one team here where the, the top target gets three targets. You have another team where not just is obviously the ceiling for the, the top options higher in terms of the type of volume they can earn, but you get the ancillary pieces are boosted. Now, obviously, this was massively extreme. 68 pass attempts, most in, in the game all year versus 16. But when you you see it like this, Justin Watson, this you know rotational player getting five targets and nobody on the entire Titans team can get more than three, you're like, yeah, I mean, this is why we spend so much time talking about team volume and, and target share and all these things. Anyway, those were uh, that was a great list of stats. It was interesting how you know some of the ones we talked about there, the Bucks and the Rams, for example, played each other. The Patriots and the Colts played each other. There was, those were, there were some bad games this week. The Bucks didn't score a touchdown until that final drive. They turned it over on downs with a minute and forty three left. <clears throat> the Rams go three and out, punt it back. They're at their own forty with about forty four seconds left. And then the Rams just don't even try to play defense at that point. They gave up two quick outs to Scotty Miller that took eight seconds, gained 21 yards, got them from the 28-yard line down to the seven after their first big completion to, to start that drive. How are you not guarding the sidelines when your opponent needs a touchdown and doesn't have timeouts and there's a 28-yard line? You can't give him 21 yards in eight seconds and let him go out of bounds on both plays. 
I mean, just insane. But I bring that up because you mentioned how bad their pass game was. He was hyper-efficient on that last drive. It had 60 pass yards in like five plays. That boosted them to the numbers that you said. I mean, what a... Well, on the previous drive, too, they had been very, I mean, conservative to the point of being non-competitive on defense. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, we know these teams want to keep everything in front of them when the game is on the line and not give up that big play. And if you do give up the big play, then you get you know massively crushed in the press. But I mean, the defenses, as we well know, are already playing it in a conservative fashion. And you've been so dominant with what is already a conservative defense. Why are you dropping off even more and actually letting them have free completions when you have dominated them the whole game? And, and particularly on the sideline, I mean, even to your point, <clears throat> they want to drop off. You you guard the sidelines and deep. You do like a big horseshoe and you give them the middle of the field. Because what you can't do when they get the ball to the 28-yard line, uh, I have it right here, 28-yard line with 24 seconds left. That's a long way to go in 24 seconds with no timeouts. You can't let them get to the 7-yard line with 16 seconds left. I mean, even if they gain that 21 yards, but then they have to run up and spike, then they have one play to score. They get all the way to the seven with 16 seconds still. And then they got the DPI. They get the ball spotted on the one. And they still have like time for multiple plays from the one-yard line because you let them catch passes and get out of bounds when they don't have a timeout. I mean, there's just no excuse for that. I mean, I, I agree with your point. They probably should have been playing more aggressive when they're playing as good a defense as they were. But even if you're not going to play aggressive, you cannot give them the sidelines. Give them... 20-yard completions in the middle of the field, make them line back up and spike it. That runs like 10 to 15 seconds minimum. They're going to be down to, you know, under 10 seconds. Even if you gave them one 20-yard completion, it's going to take more than their two completions at eight of eight seconds. It's going to take a lot more. They're going to basically have one shot to the end zone to win the game. You, you guys probably, you guys talked about that on OT, you mentioned. <laughs> Listeners of both will, uh, will have heard this multiple times, but I was as baffled as you probably were. Yeah, you mentioned... The Bucks there, one of the interesting things in this game, and one of the trends that we kind of like, but it almost mystifies me in some way, is that Rashad White starts to get a bigger workload, and there's talk about him playing more, but he played really poorly. Now, Leonard Fournette has nine carries, goes for 19 yards. That's atrocious, and they're having trouble have, making their offense work, and so you're looking for some different options but you know that that is what Leonard Fournette brings to the table. He's going to have a lot of stretches like that. Now, he's going to also have some stretches where he breaks the play, and so your overall average is going to be better. But any nine-carry sample for Leonard Fournette could easily go for 19 yards. He does have seven targets. He catches five of them. He gains 41 yards. The contrast there to White, who catches all three of his targets for seven yards, and one of the problems here is that White has not been a weapon for them in the receiving game, which is what he's supposed to bring to the table. And he also looked very bad as a rusher, averaging under... 3.5 yards per carry. They want him to grab this, and I hope that he does. He has that explosiveness. He is a good receiver, but we're definitely not seeing it in-game in a way that would allow him to firmly grab this opportunity. And I think that you have to do it when you have a player in Fournette who's done it in big games, who has that connection with Brady and has a contract that insulates him at least to an extent, not anything like what Elliott's has always done for him. But I mean, you have to go out there and get this. I, I would have loved to see him break a play in this game. So I wrote about this too. I have not heard the commentary. Maybe I've been missing this, that they want White to take it. I'm, I'm really curious to hear you elaborate on that. But I wrote exactly what you wrote. 
And then my conclusion was he's not going to take the job playing this way. And Fournette's going to just stay in the job because he's been their guy and he's been their guy for multiple years. I, I also wrote that I think White looks more athletic on the field than Fournette. But, I mean, you mentioned he was under 3.5 yards per carry. He actually raised his season average. He's at 3.1 for the year now. He's, he's rushed 38 times. He's not done anything, really. And this is a guy that I really liked and wanted to see a lot out of. And I think he looks good, but he's not doing anything to immediately earn the coach's trust. to earn all. I mean, he's averaging 6.8 yards per reception. That's below average, 5.4 yards per target. He's catching 80% of his balls. That's good, I guess. But you're getting running back targets from Tom Brady, you should probably be catching a high rate of them. Those are under average running back receiving metrics. The 3.1 yards per carry is very poor. Fournette's numbers are bad too, but I, I agree with exactly what you said. I mean, you've got to go and take it if you're Rashad White. Fournette's giving you the opportunity. But ha has there been indications that they are like pretty open to that? Well, he played a lot more, obviously, in this game, even as they struggled. And one of the post-game comments is that, I mean, they they want him to show it. And then if Fournette is going to be angry about losing the touches, then he's got to show it. And so they're kind of throwing down the gauntlet to both players, I think. But at the same time, I mean, they're victims of just how poorly this passing attack is working. We talked about some of the other hilarious numbers for the Bucks here. And this is another game in which Brady averages less than five yards per attempt. I mean, that's very difficult to do. He throws 58 times, and yet there still isn't value to his receivers. I mean, in a game in which he throws 58 times, you're going to have nine fantasy points for Mike Evans and 10.6 for Chris Godwin. And, and Godwin especially, too, with the depths that they're throwing the ball to him, just being absolutely crushed by how the Bucks are playing in terms of his fantasy prospects. At least Evans had some shots in this game near misses where he takes big hits, you know, as the ball's getting there. But a couple of passes could have been completed to him that would have changed his day. For Godwin, you can't even really say that. Yeah, he's got such a low A dot. Um, that's been an unfortunate development for Godwin. And yeah, it's not just those two. I mean, it's everyone in the pass game. Kate Otten winds up with a good line, but he had the 28-yard catch to start that final drive and caught the TD at the end of it. I mean, you can't just take those things off, but like they, there are scenarios where they don't get that last drive if the Rams just get a first down. I mean, that's... That's the bottom line. The Rams didn't take care of business, and Otten winds up getting two catches, 29 yards, a TD. Before that, had three catches for like 30, 40 yards. Scotty Miller had a seven for 53 game, another guy who had a half-decent game in this 58-pass attempt game, right? Just sort of similar to what we were talking about with the Chiefs. But he gets there in part because of two catches for 21 yards that I was just complaining about. They didn't even guard him on these quick outs on the sideline. He caught both of them on the same sideline two plays in a row. That Yeah, that last drive really helped both Miller and Otten. But otherwise, nobody in this past game would have had anything. It was not uh, a good game. And, and like you said, 58 pass attempts. That was part of what I wrote as well with the um, the two running backs and sort of my, my takeaway. Definitely noticed the snap share switch. Fournette was down to 62%. That's just two percentage points higher than his season low. White was up above his snap share average by a good amount. By about 25% of his usual numbers. He's usually around like 28%. He was up at 35%, added a, a solid seven percentage points. But they threw 58 times. And a lot of times we see more rotations in these really high volume, play volume games. They ran a ton of plays. I don't have the play volume number right in front of me, but 
you'll see a little more rotation. Fournette still ran routes on 59% of dropbacks, which is a pretty normal number for him. White was only at 29%, also pretty normal number for him. So, I mean, I, I want to see White go and take it like we were talking about. It's just a bummer that we haven't seen that yet. I think there's a pretty good chance that he will. At the same time, I think that Fournette is a good buy right now. One of the things I've mentioned several times over the past couple of weeks is that I don't have a lot of players like Mixon and Montgomery and Jacobs and Fournette, but I think that one thing they have going for them, other than just that they're hybrid players who do get the volume, they're not going to be very efficient because they're not explosive. But I think because of that, you're going to have these fluctuations in the way that they score that don't necessarily indicate that they're done or they're going to be out. You have the massive game from Joe Mixon, which more or less neutralizes this sort of historic level of inefficiency that he'd been on. You had Josh Jacobs blow up for a stretch and now have a couple of down games. You have Montgomery splitting with Herbert. You have Fournette having some down games. I like to buy on these guys at very low prices, but when they go through the down stretches, because when you do have that hybrid workload, then your chances of getting back into that high value touch category in a way that does pay off for you in fantasy still pretty good. Then we have this game here where you have two quarterbacks and two offenses that fit the main theme for the season, which is that even when you have guys who are studs or have been in the past, if you don't have that rush ability out of your QB and you're not absolutely loaded everywhere else, you're not firing on all cylinders. If the opposing defense plays you correctly, you're going to struggle. We saw both of these guys struggle in this game. Another team that I think has a lot of issue with that and is having problems with it in 2022 in a way that may get their coach to be a one and done, the Las Vegas Raiders. We had a game a week ago where Devontae Adams only catches one of his five targets. They come out in the first half of this game and he has a very nice stretch and arguably also some broken plays. I've been High on Devontae Adams, and so his huge game here, the 36-point game, beneficial for me. But also, you want to keep your eyes open, right, and not just be excited about the scoring. Also look at the red flags. We talked about the Raiders haven't scored in three or four halves. The second half of this game, obviously, they don't score against the Jaguars. The Jags really dominate them. This was a bizarre game from Adams because if you only saw the second half, you would think that it was a complete carryover from the previous week. So he ends up with this very large number of air yards that we mentioned earlier, over 190. In the second half, he has seven targets, one reception, zero yards. So he has the 17 targets. He has a 36-point fantasy game, and yet it's almost like it's throwing up red flags. Derek car trying to hit him as they come back he was extremely involved in their two sort of panic drives at the end but they could not hook up yeah but he looked really good in the first half <laughs> i mean you're gonna give him credit for the 36 points i mean yeah you, you kind of have to give him some credit for the fact that he caught nine of ten in the first half for 146 yards and two touchdowns it's interesting you call those broken plays i didn't see him particularly closely and i just saw him being wide open you know while watching a bunch of different games and I Which Devontae Adams him, is going to do sometimes? Well, yeah, I think I called him unguardable because I was like, how, how, that's that's just what I assume is the case when he's running that wide open. But but down the stretch on those last two drives in particular, you can see how difficult it is to throw at that medium depth, especially along the sidelines into double teams. All of those passes, he is blanketed underneath and the safety is coming over the top and you're trying to figure out like just how good of a pass 
Derek Carr would have to throw to get it in there? And the answer is you need to throw an Aaron Rodgers pre-2022 type of pass to get that in. Yeah, I mean, they, they struggled down the stretch, obviously. They blew another 17-point lead. It's their third of the season. That's been the big talking point this week. I think there was a a graphic at the end of the game that that matched their total from 1960 to, to 2021 or something like that of 17-point of blown leads. Uh, I, I was looking that up to try to find that graphic. I couldn't find it, but I found something else that said they had five such losses in the first 62 years of their franchise before this year. So that dates back to like 1960 range. Yeah, not a great, not a great second half for them. I, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I was excited about Travis Etienne on the other side. He saw his routes tick up, ran routes on 69% of dropbacks. His season high and the high value touchdown that I like to reference was just four. Couple of weeks back, he had seven in week eight. He had six more here. He only actually had two catches. He's been seeing three point three targets per game prior to prior to this week, and then the routes jumped, and he only got two targets in this game. But I think if you see that routes jump stick, we're gonna start to see him bump that three point three targets per game up up above four, which should be really nice to see for him because he's been. A little bit on the trappy side, meaning a lot of low value touches, a lot of rush attempts. He's been explosive enough that that workload has worked for him. But um, and he's got the green zone touches three, four, and four. I think over the last three games, ton of work inside the ten yard line for him, and he's converting them, which is fantastic to see. We want to see some more receptions out of him. Positive sign for him in this game. It was a fun game for the Jaguars. I mean, they're, they're a team that was coming back from London. A lot of people were off them in the betting market. Cause like the teams that are traveling back from London tend to struggle the next week. They get down big early. It looks like they're coming out and they're flat because of all this travel lately. They've had so many close losses. They've been not able to get over the hump. It was exciting to see them turn around and have a good second half and actually play well. And ETN was a huge part of that. Christian Kirk has a big game as well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. They look good. And Lawrence has, to me, looked a lot like Herbert, but without the accuracy, which obviously is the huge element. 
when you think about these two guys coming out of college and Lawrence as the mega prospect, Herbert as the guy with a lot of question marks, it's almost been flip-flopped in terms of the way that they've played. Lawrence has played the way Herbert was projected and vice versa. It's cool to see him play well in this game and also the composure that they demonstrated. But again, the big thing is ETN. He looked fantastic. He only averages 3.9 yards per carry in this game. And so, I mean, I think it would be fair to say perhaps we're looking at it through rose-colored glasses. But he also had a lot of big losses in this game where the Raiders run blitzed into a somewhat obvious call and got him for six, seven-yard losses. You can't take too many of those and end up with good yards per carry numbers. But you mentioned the high-value touches, and it's not just that he's getting those plays down by the goal line. He looks fantastic for a smaller back. And you even think of like the greatest backs of all time. If they go through a stretch where they don't look good in close, then you risk losing some of those touches. I mean, the Lions toyed around with taking Barry Sanders off the field at the goal line. I mean, think about how crazy that sounds. ETN has a one-yard touchdown run in this game. And one of the cool things is he set that up with a nine to 10-yard run immediately before that. If you can hand the ball to him in that range and have him slice through the defense just like he does between the 20s, it's huge. And then that receiving portion of it, I mean, there are some mild red flags, right? Because he was drafted by a, a different mindset from the coaching staff that he's going to be this receiving weapon. Doug Peterson, I was checking up on this, and during his tenure in Philadelphia, his running back group over that sort of entire span only ranked 20th in receiving EP to the backs. And so you really like it if they had a little bit of more of that just drawn in, schemed in to where you knew ETN was going to have that floor because he has the ability to be Austin Eckler. I mean, that's what he should end up being, and maybe even more in terms of playing a higher percentage of the total plays. It just is very exciting when you think about how they looked in the second half, if Lawrence can be good, and then where this offense is going to go, what that means for ETN. I mean, he also takes a huge jump in all formats, how you have to have him ranked. Yeah, and your comment about the rushing efficiency, I think is is notable, but I also liked this rushing line from him in the sense that it's a 28 carry game. I mean, he's not a 28 carry back, but like to be able to grind out a 109 yard rushing game, uh, 3.9 yards per carry is 3.9 yards per carry. I get that. And I probably mock this line if it was somebody I didn't like. At the same time, with what he's shown over the last four weeks, he's rushed for at least 6.5 yards per carry in every game over the last four weeks. That's ridiculous. I mean, he's had three of those over seven, one of them over eight yards per carry. Those are all 10 plus carry games. That's a decent enough volume. Part of the reason he's not had a 28 yard or 28 carry game is he's breaking off 60 yard runs or 40 yard runs or 30 yard runs. This was a game where he was getting stopped a little bit, but the Jaguars continued to go to him and he still ran effectively enough to, to compile a hundred yards. I think a 3.9 yard per carry game is bad and regardless, but I don't think it's seeing it through rose colored glasses to say that when you do it on 28 carries and still turn out a hundred yards, you know, some of these are obvious run situations, what have you, you mentioned, I just scrolled through the, the game log, you mentioned some of the big negatives. He had a negative five-yard carry, negative six-yard carry, loses 11 yards on two carries. Obviously, this isn't the right way to do averages, but if you pull those out or give him those 11 yards back and look at the other 26 carries, 120 yards on the other 26 carries is 4.6 yards per carry. I mean, so those two plays that got blown up where he lost the 11 yards, if you took those completely out of the sample, he was efficient again, 4.6 yards on the other 26 carries. On a big workload, with a couple touchdowns, which are also low, you know, yardage plays because you're you're crossing the goal line, you don't get to keep running. And I just I love that note from you because I mean the risk that we have occasionally 
in these electric backs. And that's almost exclusively what I draft. And obviously you and I have a lot of overlap in the way that we do it is that in the games where they don't break big plays, sometimes you have a little bit lower floor. If you've got a guy who can break those big plays, but the team is also committed to giving him a Derrick Henry like workload in the games where he doesn't. I mean, that's just fantasy Nirvana. Yeah. This is a Derrick Henry. It's a, Joe Mixon line. I mean, other than what we saw this week, but a lot of weeks he'll have these 28 carry 109 yard games. Maybe a Marshawn Lynch line. I don't know. I mean, like th- that's what it looks like from a box score perspective, not a Travis Etienne line. It, I thought it was, I thought it was very encouraging. Discouraging game. We haven't gotten to that. You mentioned in your, your funny stats was the lions and Packers. And I want to ask you about Aaron Rodgers and get your thoughts on it. Cause my take was in this game and particularly with the last interception Feels like Aaron Rodgers, some of his interceptions have looked really bad. The throwback to David Bakhtiari in this game was a well-designed play. It could have worked. He underthrew it by about five yards. He just threw it to Aiden Hutchinson. (laughs) The broadcast booth kept going back and going, look at this athletic play by the rookie DN. I'm like, that ball's thrown to his helmet. He didn't even have to jump. He caught that in his eyes. That ball's got to be thrown over him. It can't be thrown to him. If he doesn't catch it, it's not even going to get to Bakhtiari. It was just a weirdly underthrown play. The later one, down to the goal line, I think it was to Tunyon. Uh, Rodgers threw two interceptions inside the five. This one was from like the 22-yard line and going in, and he threw it to the goal line. Three interceptions down near the end zone where they were all caught. It looked like he was trying to fit it into that tight window, like you mentioned, uh, when you're talking about uh, Derek Carr. Rodgers has done that a lot, and, and he can make plays that don't look like they're there be there and then they look like incredible throws what i got in this game watching it was aaron Rodgers thinks he can fit balls into places that right now physically he's not able to if you're a little bit off or maybe just a bad game but if you're a little bit off and you're trusting your arm to be able to make these really crazy throws when they do get intercepted it looks like it's like what are you even thinking but i you know, especially on that last one, I was like, yeah, I could see where a really great Aaron Rodgers pass would have worked here. I mean, is it a physical thing with him? Does, does, does it seem like he's just kind of not got the same precision that he that he used to have? I think that a lot of it is still mental and the fighting that he has to do with himself week by week. And then when he's out there play by play to try and keep his energy And just his mental balance in the right place is hurting him physically here because you do see a lot of the great Aaron Rodgers throws to a a little bit more extent almost, I think, than with Russell Wilson, where he is sprinkling in a few of those prototypical Wilson throws. But a lot of them just like, I mean, are so bad that you are really worried about a physical element with his game here. I give Aaron Rodgers a lot of grief on overtime because Colum is a big Packers fan. So I'll take the other side of it a little bit here and say that I think that there, if there's an encouraging note for Packers fans and for Rodgers fantasy managers, and probably more beyond Rodgers for these young receivers who are going to develop. And I mean, this has been a such a fun show. We're definitely not going to dwell on the negative, but the one real dagger for this week was to not only lose Dobbs after the great week last week, but to lose him early and not get really any points from him, especially when first snap, first snap, and he look, I mean, he just slices through. He's wide open, and you contrast that. It makes a, a wonderful play on it. You contrast that to how the rest of the receivers look throughout the game. That part, I think, is disappointing because part of what 
Rodgers really needs is a receiver to step up. The other name that I would mention here, if you're in a deep dynasty league and you're just kind of looking for some fun ads for your 30th roster spot or your 35th roster spot or what have you, is that Samari Toure, you're going to say four targets, two receptions, 34 yards. How can that be anything? But he actually looked sort of compelling. And he has for a couple of weeks. He's got some athleticism there. Long touchdown against the Bills. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen the same thing. I mean, you contrast that with someone like a Sammy Watkins who gets five targets, only catches one for nine yards. And I mean, this kind of goes back to whether you're going to have the patience as the veteran to help the young guys through because so much what happened in this game and the Lions were awful in this game. You cannot lose to a team that number one is not good. And the number two plays toward the bottom end of their own range of outcomes. You can't lose that game. The only way that you do it is by making just a series of almost mind-boggling mistakes. But Watkins, the, the problem with bringing in a veteran who's washed up is that you get all of the same problems or at least many of the same problems as you do with a rookie, plus you don't get the upside. I mean, this is a game, Watkins is consistently running the wrong route. Aaron Rodgers is throwing the ball to him. And then Rodgers and coach on the sidelines throwing up their hands asking what is going on well what is going on is that you signed Sammy Watkins that never made any sense who who less belongs on an NFL field Sammy Watkins or Malcolm Brown because he's the other one and I agree completely with Watkins even when he's like open it's like he can't run to the ball um but Mal- it reminds me uh of Malcolm Brown who every time I watch him with the Rams I'm like why is he still playing NFL football who belongs on an NFL field less right now? Well, I would say Sammy Watkins because that position requires you to execute. Right. Whereas Brown, I mean, the idea there is he takes the ball and he falls into the line and maybe the ball crosses whatever plane you're looking for there. <laughs> the, but the, an encouraging note, I, I said I was going to say something positive and then I listed some issues they had. I felt like Rodgers actually competed in this game for the first time in a long time. He has the four carries for 40 yards. He's willing to run in it to try and pick up chunks that are really crucial to his team as opposed to protecting his body. Now he gets down like he should, but he runs in this game. And I think the interceptions are a good sign. For so long, the one kind of bizarre criticism of Rodgers, and I mean bizarre in that it's weird that this would kind of come into play, but that he's not been willing to throw picks because he's so proud of being so clean in the turnover department that he refuses to take risks and throw passes that the team needs him to take for them to accomplish their objectives, which are winning the game not creating a pristine record for Aaron Rodgers and winning him MVPs. Now, the interceptions he threw in this game were absolutely terrible because, they, like you said, they were so poorly thrown. But I just I like the fact that he's out there trying to uncork it a little bit and trying to carry the team, whereas previous to this, he had really given the vibe that if they were going to win, it was going to be close and that he was going to very grudgingly allow them to do certain things to prove kind of his thesis about the team. In this game, it seemed like it flipped and he wanted to compete. And unfortunately for, again, Packers fans and those people who have exposure to this team in fantasy, it didn't work. But I feel like he competed for the first time in a long time. And that's got to be at least a minor positive as we go forward. Yeah, I'll agree with that. But I will say mainly, as far as I'm concerned, that only relates to the third interception that he that he forced in to the Tunyon spot, and then he came back the next drive ends up throwing the TD to Alan Lazard and, and was aggressive and was aggressive the drives following because that was in the third quarter. There was a few more. But the first two interceptions, I, I don't think you could really say like he was he was throwing into spots where he 
you know, was taking more of a risk. He got the one batted at the line. The other one was just like, it was a good, good decision to throw where he was throwing. I mean, he was being careful. He just like couldn't physically throw the ball far enough. Well, for some and the one batted at the line too was one where a little bit similar to what Tom Brady's had. You get a lot of nose down passes from Brady and Rogers this year. Unlike all the short QBs who are constantly throwing it into the line because they can't see over it and they're just blocked. I mean, this pass, there was nobody there and Aaron Rodgers still managed to throw it into the line and the pass to Bakhtiari, he, he kind of comes off the field and is acting like, I can't believe that was the play call. It's like the guy was wide open. You just missed open. Him. <laughs> yeah. You just threw it five full yards short on a throw that should have traveled 15 yards. You threw it 10 yards. I mean, this is not like you were way off. <laughs> like this is terrible. Any other uh, final games? Oh, I mean, we didn't really talk about Kansas City, Tennessee. That was a really fun Sunday nighter. You got a minute to talk through that? Yeah, that was extremely exciting as a Kansas City Chiefs fan. It did get us knocked out of the the chop. Anybody who wants to contribute some money to flood relief, just let us know. Colm can definitely hook you up if you get in contact with him as well, our executive producer. The... Big fourth quarter from Patrick Mahomes gets him to 40 fantasy points, which gets him that team over the hump. And then we lose on Chris Olave's final reception of Monday Night Football in garbage time because we didn't go with Tua. So, yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, big game. And, you know, again... Here with Mahomes, I think the thing that's so cool about him is that despite really not being a hybrid QB, and I just I don't think that he is. I don't think that you can put him in that category. He competes in addition to having the great arm. And you think about some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Peyton Manning, a lot of big losses, but obviously a competitor, Tom Brady, you know, plenty of reasons to root against him. You have Darth Vader types of comparisons, but obviously a, an amazing competitor. When you think about someone who could overcome the all-time greats, you need the arm talent of a Patrick Mahomes, but also the competitiveness that he demonstrated in this game. And if you're a fantasy manager and you're going to get those extra rushing yards, those rushing touchdowns, the rushing two-point conversion, that's where you get the fantasy points for Patrick Mahomes to be the guy. And, I mean, again, we got tons and tons of things wrong this year, like we do every year, but I do feel good about the fact that we said, if you're going to draft a quarterback sort of above the QB window – Patrick Mahomes is a lot better buy for the price than, again, someone like Justin Herbert. Yeah, absolutely. This was, I mean, I guess we did talk about this a little earlier, the contrasting styles, but this was an incredibly compelling game to me. The Titans did, I mean, a pretty good job of holding up for the most part. Obviously, the Chiefs have some miss, you know, they have a missed field goal. They have some, what was it, a missed extra point and a missed field goal, a couple missed kicks. They have some drives that stall out for <clears> – <throat> You know, and don't get points for reasons that aren't necessarily thanks to the Titans defense or a knock on the the Chiefs offense. But at the same time, Titans clearly went in there trying to run the ball. They used Malik Willis not as a passer, really, but as a secondary weapon in the run game. He rushes like eight times for 40 yards, even against the Texans a week prior. Willis not as involved in the run game, just handing off to Derrick Henry every play. We got to see more of him in the you know, read option game and pulling and keeping. I thought it was uh, really interesting to see their offense in the context of the 2022 season and how we've seen some of these Justin Fields types and the way that the Giants offense has, has operated at times, even using Daniel Jones mobility when they haven't had a lot of receivers healthy and 
the Falcons offense, obviously. And they were able to do a decent enough job of controlling the game and running and, and the things that they wanted to do, even while not throwing really at all. And then the Chiefs, I mean, they, they look like they're up against the wall, obviously. They get the touchdown. They get the two-point conversion. By that point, once they pulled even, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I thought it was definitely over because I thought the Titans might be able to put together another good rushing drive. But we don't see, I, I think, another first down from the Titans. By that point, it was, you know, three and outs for the Titans the rest of the way, basically. And um, them able to – the Chiefs able to 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 get the – the field goal in overtime, but Titans got a good defense as well. I mean, I thought this was a really interesting game. Ton of volume out of out of Kansas City's passing game. The the big note there for me, I mean, a couple notes. You have Kadarius Tony and and also Sky Moore not getting any kind of post by bump, which we weren't really expecting, but notable. Tony not really playing. Michael Hardman performing pretty well again and scoring in a you know a red zone package. Although he did have a thirty three yard catch right after. The right on the final play of regulation that was just like free yards. And he has a ball on a key play. You think about like how do the Chiefs get stopped? How do you stop them? You got to create some third downs. And then even then, the best team in football at third down, but Hardman gets open, which some of their guys have struggled to do, and drops one that hits him in the numbers. I mean, those are the plays the Chiefs have to have if they're going to use Hardman. It's one of the reasons why they continue to try and add these other guys. It's interesting on Tony that he doesn't really play, but they scheme a reception to him on the very first play there i think a sign that they're telling everybody look this guy is going to be part of our team we're going to try and work to maximize his gifts as opposed to kind of beat him down and and try and motivate him that way different teams have different motivational styles i think that the giants have done a fantastic job it's not a criticism of them but i do think the fact that the chiefs even though they didn't really plan to play him got him a reception immediately has to be encouraging for his dynasty value yeah sure but the other note, other than not really seeing a ton of him, not seeing a ton of Sky Moore, was MVS coming out of the bye, 68 pass attempt game, gets one target. We talked about before the bye how he was kind of, I mean, early in the season, doing a lot more in the short and intermediate range, getting a lot of targets in an area where his dot ended up in the 10 to 11 range. Then the last game before the bye, he had four targets, 26 plus dot, goes over 100 air yards for the first time in the year. I'm assuming that's what he was doing in most of this game. I haven't gone back and looked at it again closely uh, since looking at the box score while writing up stealing signals, but I'm assuming he was running downfield a lot and there just wasn't a lot down there. And he'll have some deep shots in other games, but just completely not a part of the offense in a game where they throw so many passes, where Travis Kelsey gets 17 targets, mostly underneath. Juju Smith-Schuster gets 12 targets, mostly underneath. Hardman gets the nine. Jarek McKinnon gets eight. Obviously, they're passing down back. You have Justin Watson getting five and Noah Gray getting three and those guys working and even Tony getting two but while playing like, I don't know, five snaps. What did he play? Uh, nine snaps in the entire game. MVS still plays a really solid snap share, runs a lot of routes, gets only one target out of 68. I think that's a pretty big red flag coming out of the bye. But certainly getting him going was not something they were focused on over the bye week, right? Not something too telling. The Michael Hartman drop is a good point. Their schemed usage of his speed in the red zone hits for another touchdown here. The immediate response to the Tony trade has been that Tony's got to take that Hardman spot. We know that MVS is probably still going to stay in the deep threat role. Although, I mean, Hardman could feasibly shift there and Tony could take some of the routes that Hardman's doing. 
You could also see Tony run some of the stuff that Juju Smith-Schuster has been running. I've been trying to kind of jigsaw puzzle this because you have McKinnon, Kelsey, Juju, MVS, Hardman, and you have the guys like Justin Watson and Noah Gray mixing in, and they both make plays in this game. These guys are still going to mix in to the extent that Sky Moore might mix in at all. You have him there too. So they have like a five-man receiving core and guys that rotate in. Is it that Tony has to take the Hardman role? Are there... Is there other shuffling that could impact Juju and MVS here? I, I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time thinking through how this is going to look. Well, I think that Juju is cementing himself as a solid possession threat. A lot of the targets to him, and we've talked about how he's his yards after the catch coming into this game had been fantastic, but a lot of it comes on plays that Mahomes extends. You still see the receptions that he gets in this game often come on plays that Mahomes extends, but they still count. And you contrast it with MVS not being involved regardless. I think the the couple names you threw in there that I've been trying to ignore because they hurt some of the outcomes that yeah. I would like to see were Justin Watson and Noah Gray. And you think about the total number of passing attempts in this game. You look at the chances that some of the other guys have. And who are the players who are actually able to get open? I mean, Justin Watson with the five targets, that's a problem for some of their guys. He's made some big plays this year. And then Noah Gray. And Gray arguably makes the biggest catch in this entire game. If you're going to lose eight targets to those guys, it, it becomes a problem. Really, this game only works once Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony get involved. Now I say, I mean to say the, the offense in terms of being what they eventually envision only works when those guys. The the other pieces have been busts, right? So I think they're going to continue to work to make those guys. Fit. I do think that Tony will take some of the short touches, but I think that actually works fine for Hardman to do what he does well there. What Tony has to do is take all of those other plays that Hardman can't make. And he's got the speed to run a lot of those routes. Can he run them? Can he stay healthy? You know, will he be in the place that he is supposed to be? Hardman, in addition to not catching the ball very well, has historically not been able to execute the routes down the field and be where the ball is supposed to be when it gets there. And so that obviously makes it so it doesn't work. The main thing here, though and we've been trying to execute a, a dynasty trade for Mahomes, but it just, you've got the, the play volume that you're not going to have hardly ever. But even with that being the case, Mahomes is leading the Chiefs in a way that is creating points for them, is converting third downs for them, is creating fantasy points for managers despite the receivers busting. And I think that if you told people to start the season that that was going to happen, you'd have more concerns that the Chiefs, not that it would necessarily be to the level that we've seen from the Rams and the Buccaneers, for example, but the Rams and the Buccaneers are the recent Super Bowl winners, right? So, I mean, that's starting from a very high level for them to be where they are right now. You would say the Chiefs probably are maybe moving at least slightly into that category. It just simply doesn't happen with Patrick Mahomes. The other part of it, too, that, <laughs> that I don't want to completely ignore is that Pacheco and CEH are benched in this game. They flat out are benched because they cannot play. And so it's cool to see McKinnon in his role in the offense, you know, score a few fantasy points. You get a little bit of clarity in terms of how they have to run some of these games, especially competitive games for the Chiefs. You can probably put McKinnon in there as a desperation RB2, but I do think that he who shall not be named is going to be active in at least one game this year. He's got to be at least once, right? And you're talking about and I'm gonna I'm gonna name him for anyone who's confused, but most everyone won't be. But you're talking about Ronald Jones. He's I. 
it was it was interesting. The Titans have an incredibly good run D. I think they're the number one run D by a lot of metrics. I, I'm pretty sure by like football outsiders DVOA, they're number one. It seemed to me like the Chiefs just came into this game saying we're not even going to try to run the ball in this run defense. Well, those nine plays in which Ceh and Pacheco gained ten total yards, you could add those nine plays onto the passing attempts and it'd be better. <laughs> it would have been way better. I, I talking through this with you, I completely agree with you on Juju. Even just like sort of suggesting that he would lose that role, as you started to say, like he's he has solidified himself. Like he's he's making a lot of simple plays, but like plays that you need somebody to make in this offense. They're, they don't have enough guys making those. He's he's not going to be losing his role anytime soon. The Hardman stuff is interesting. How the Tony stuff plays out is interesting. Yeah, I, I think McKinnon's a solid play, but I, I agree with you with everything you said about Mahomes. I mean, this team with the way that the receivers have played, the way that things have looked to be to be at six and two now. And and really, I mean, Bill's game was close. Maybe not one they should have won. The Colts game they definitely should have won. I mean, they had this guy more fumble early that gave the Colts a, a free touchdown. And then the late drive, I, I believe, was extended due to a after the play personal foul or something on a third down and it helped. Yeah, Chris Jones got an unsportsmanlike conduct on like a fourth and 14 as I look at this game log. I can't remember the exact situation. There were like seven different unlikely things that had to happen consecutively for the Chiefs to lose that game. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, yeah, you're going to lose some games. You're going to win some games. They got fortunate in this game to win it. I actually, watching this one against the Titans, was thinking kind of positive variance back. I have – Well, their win probability was in trouble at – some very obvious points. You mentioned where, the Noah Gray catch. I mean, if he doesn't come down with that, they probably – I mean, they, they maybe still have some time, but they probably lose this game. But, yeah, I, I, as someone who has taken some Chiefs season-long overs and even some alt-overs to win, you know, like 14 and a half – over 14 and a half games <laughs> to go, to go uh, you know, 15 and two. Well, and I think that that's especially relevant as we think back to our show about this in the off season where the chief's projection was a little bit odd. And now we've seen again, how uncertainty can play in your favor. If you're betting on talent, we talked about it so much on the individual player and in fantasy, but at a team level, the collapse of the AFC West combined with the rise of the AFC East now dramatically changes the outlook for the chiefs versus the bills this season. And over the at least medium term, because the Bills' schedule now is going to be so brutal by comparison. If the Jets are anything like they look this week, it's going to be tough because the Patriots, even though they still have some issues, always going to be good. And the Miami Dolphins look great. And so it just it completely changes things up when you see how these two divisions have gone so dramatically in opposite directions this year. Absolutely. Ben, on this game, it's just a player near to our hearts. I, I mean, we should just stop, but... I do want to ask you about the Titans. No completions to a wide receiver. Traylon Burks probably coming back soon, although that's a little bit up in the air, at least as we record tonight. Higher or lower on him when you consider that he needs to be the guy. They have nothing else. And yet, I mean, we think about DJ Moore back to square one again this week. These teams that don't pass the ball well, number one, from an efficiency basis, which does look like it's potentially going to be a problem with the Titans. And then number two, from a pass volume perspective, you feel better or worse about him seeing how the Titans have evolved or 
failed to evolve or dealt with different hurdles in his absence. I think he feels slightly better. These concerns were already there, but just knowing that they're not fighting anything else and that he has to come. I mean, they, they showed us after like week one right away. It was, you know, he didn't play a lot. It was, we got to get him more involved in week two. And then like by like week three, he was playing a lot and they were throwing to him on like first reads. Anytime they needed to get something down the field, it was pretty clear they needed to get it to Traylon Burks. I think, to the extent that he's healthy enough. I mean, that's the, my concern has just been like, how was this, you know, it was a significant enough turf toe injury. And those, we, we call them toe injuries, but they're like whole foot injuries. They, they can be so bad that they can derail seasons. And for him to go on IR and need this much time, my understanding is it's a pretty serious one. Will he get back? How healthy will he be? I think if he's back and healthy, if you give me that caveat, I think he's you're very optimistic that they're going to be, based on what they did in the first few weeks and how quickly they went from, we're going to make him a part-time player to start, to, oh, crap, we, we need him to be a full-time player. And then what's happened now when he's been out, they're going to get him up to speed as fast as he can physically get up to speed. The team stuff is concerning, but you'd assume by the time he's back that Tannehill's probably back under center. I think most of that relates to Malik Willis playing quarterback and then wanting to be very run heavy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm excited still for him down the stretch. It's not a great receiving situation, but we knew that coming in. So in terms of what this latest stuff has meant, I mean, I, I think it's meant that th there's no doubt in anyone's mind, and they already showed us early in the year, that when he's healthy, he's got to be their top pass catcher. And so to make it work in this offense, you're probably going to need to get up around that 30% target share, which is obviously always tough for a rookie. But if a situation exists where it could happen, it could happen here. I like the way that you're looking at that. I still have optimism or at least interest in how this is going to go. That's going to do it for today's episode of Stealing Bananas, a fun one to record on Tuesday night. You guys will obviously be getting it on Wednesday. Subscribe to the feed to get these as they come out. Won't miss a thing. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Ben announced in Stealing Signals today that he is going to have a unique Week 10 edition of the newsletter. So if you've missed any, and I know you haven't, make sure you tune in for that. If you haven't subscribed, do so. You'll love the information he's going to bring to you in this special version. Also sign up for Stealing Lions, his betting project with Dalton Cates. We'd love to have you guys join us over at Rotoviz. You can use the coupon code RVRADIO2022 to get a 10% discount. Leave us a rating and review. That helps us with the algorithm. You guys have been leaving some cool comments on YouTube as well. We appreciate those. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 